what a cool thing it is to use the talents that God has given you. Uh, to doesn't matter what they are. I was thinking during the song, I was thinking um, that's true of the band. We get to see them. Um, I, you know, sitting right down here with the dark, looking at the trees, I thought, April, I don't know where you are, but uh, the, using, using your gifts to create trees like that, uh, that's, it's just a cool thing to use the gifts that God has given you. You agree? Yeah, all right. Merry Christmas, everyone. Say Merry Christmas. Yeah, good. It's like December already. Is that crazy or what? Um, you know, the, the, um, I don't know if you're like me or not, but I go through this period, I think probably most Decembers, that I get like really jazzed about Christmas. Think, oh, the, you know, this is the best time of the year. It's time for music and all, all the sensory stuff, just really cool. And then I go through times in December that it's kind of like, this is all really good, but something's not right there. You know, psychologists say December is the time that, uh, that um, depression is at its worst. It, you know, it's, it's kind of there. I read an article this week that it put into words for me. It, it talked about caution at Christmas time. And it, it, it really put into words for me kind of what I feel sometimes. And it, it said this. Um, basically, this is, the, this is the sermon before the sermon, okay? Um, the, uh, it said, be careful to not, um, to not lose the story of Christmas, the message of Christmas, in the sentimentality of Christmas. So the sentiment, you know? Well, it's when you sit down at Christmas time and you think, Oh, you know, when I hear that song, it does this for me. You know, when I hear Elvis saying, I'll have a new Christmas without you, it takes me to a certain place. When our family gets together in a certain place or when we put up these decorations, there's just this sense of, oh, the the sentiment of Christmas. Sometimes that's what we go for. We think, oh, you know what, if once the decorations come up, everything will be great because I'll have that sense of turning out the lights, looking at the tree and going, oh. The sentiment of Christmas is not what it's about. Sometimes we miss Christmas because we have this sanitized version of Christmas. You know, we 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 uh, we look at our at our manger scenes. Uh, we've we've got one. I got one when I was in Israel that that we really really love. These wood characters made from uh, there, and you look at it and you think, oh, that's great. You look at the pictures and you see the manger scene. And you have this sanitized version, right? Y- you think, oh, wasn't it, wasn't it peaceful, silent? Uh, there's, there's Mary and Joseph, and Mary looks like she has on perfume, and her hair is done nicely, and Joseph is there in his robe, just kind of kneeling beside the manger, and the manger has clean straw. And we miss, we miss, frenzied nature of that night, the tension and the anxiety that they experienced. Mary with those contractions coming, knowing the baby's coming, and her fully focused on that. And Joseph thinking, where are we going to go? Where are we going to go? Joseph probably being the midwife for, for the birth of this baby in a place that wasn't clean that even if it didn't have animals, it had animal things and smells. And the hay was a mess. 
it, it, was an, it, it was not a calm time. And so even after the birth, Mary and Joseph are there. You've got this new baby doing new baby things. And if you think back about the time after birth happens, you know, the, there's this period that once it's all done, everybody just kind of goes, huh, and, and you just rest in that. And then all of a sudden, all these shepherds come, you know, in the, in the middle of the night probably, they interrupt the whole process. It, we have this sanitized version, and we miss how crazy that was. And some, sometimes we just spiritualize Christmas. You know, you get the cards in it, and, and they take the message of the angels, peace, goodwill to all men on, you know, the, the whole world peace thing. We think of that at Christmas time, and we think, oh, yeah, we, so we think of these platitudes. And, um, and we miss the fact that Christmas at its core is about God invading earth in an unbelievable way. This incredible moment when God comes to earth in human form. That, that concept is one that's, it really is a part of our culture. It's a part of our nature as humans. If you think back to Greek culture, you know, there was this sense of Zeus coming down from Mount Olympus in and among people. That, that was there. If, if uh, you know, you grew up in America, you have this story about Jael coming from Krypton to earth to save the world. It, you know, something bigger coming. You've got um, Optimus Prime and the Autobots that come to Earth to save Earth. You've got um, Dan Antonio leaving the glories of Ohio State to come to Lansing to save the world, you know. Um, Christmas at its core, Christmas at its core is about God allowing his son to leave the glories of heaven and to come down to a messy, broken place to fix it. Is that cool or what? Um, I can stop now, right? <laughs> I'm not going to. Um, um, I don't know about you, but your my Christmas is full of characters. There are stories from the past and the interaction that we'll have. Our Christmas is full of characters. Some are, are, are major players in, in, your, um, in your Christmas story. You know, the, there's uh, parents, kids that you're going to celebrate with. But then you've got some minor characters, too. And um, we're going to talk about some minor characters in the story of Christmas from Scripture today in Luke 1. If, uh, I'm going to talk for a little bit more, but if you want, want to get out Luke 1, we're going to go there and, and spend a lot of time today. Um, but uh, there, there are minor characters in all of our Christmas celebrations. And the minor characters are, are really important because they help flesh out the whole Christmas story for us. Minor characters are important in our lives because they help us understand who we are as people. They help us get the big picture of the story. Take out the minor characters and you miss some nuances that are really important. Um, one, of the, one of the minor characters in my life is... Um, is my aunt. It's my my mom's sister. Um, my aunt is is uh, great. She's uh, she's uh, retired now. She's a retired school teacher. Um, she was divorced early in life and spent m- most of her adult life um, single. Uh, she got married a, again. Uh, I don't know, 15 years ago, something like that. And um, and my aunt was the person who, when my grandfather died. 
My aunt was the primary mover in us having a family reunion. Everybody got family reunions. My aunt was the one that made that happen. So that um, somewhere around the anniversary of my grandfather's death, the whole family gets together and celebrates. So we're not just together at holidays. We're, we're there. Um, my aunt, no kids, but really cares about extended family. So she did uh, an incredible thing 30 years ago. 30 years ago, I think even this Christmas, um, she communicated with all of her nieces and nephews. I'm, I'm um, one of her nephews. And she said, hey, when I die, uh, she was s single at this point. She said, when I die, everything I have is going to go to my nieces and nephews. You guys are going to get it all. And here's the, here's the deal. I would rather spend it with you than, than give it to you when I die. So here's my invitation. Um, you and your spouse determine where you want to go in the United States. And we'll go on a seven to 10 day trip anyplace in the US and I'll cover everything. I'll cover transportation, food, lodging, the whole deal. Is that an incredible aunt or what? Why is she a minor character in my life, you're saying, right? Uh, you know, why is she not a major one? Well, um, over the next 10 or 15 years, uh, over the next 10 or 15 years, that happened with all of the nieces and nephews. But during those 10 or 15 years, she also um, paid for trips for all of the women in our family to go to a resort in Cozumel, spend a week and all be together. She, uh, she took all of the men in our family to Riviera Maya and we did a, a trip down there. So we were on the, on the beach and went fishing and all kinds of stuff. She did three separate trips with the great nieces and nephews that she took them um, in different segments to a dude ranch or, or, or down to Cozumel as well so that they could connect together. And the reason I, I say that she's a minor player but has had a major influence in helping flesh out the story is for my kids, I, I grew up really close to my cousins, but we moved away as we got old. And my, my kids didn't know my cousin's kids at all. They didn't, they, there just wasn't that sense of connectedness for our extended family. And Aunt Linda has, has through her generosity and her love of travel, made a way that our family is incredibly connected. Um, 15 years ago was the first great nieces and nephews trip. And my kids and my cousin's kids know each other and love each other and communicate all the time, even though they're spread all over the country now, um, have, have kids of their own who are going through that process. Minor characters, but they help you understand the whole story. For me, um, if you're around me very much, you'll know family matters. Aunt Lynn helped help um, reinforce that, help make that happen. Um, today's message focuses really on two minor characters um, in the story of, of Jesus' birth. Um, these people are not on Christmas cards, okay? The, we don't sing Christmas carols about them. There's not even a lawsuit related to these two characters of Christmas, which means you know that it's, it's way minor. Um, but they're included in Scripture, and the question is why? And it's because they're interwoven into the supernatural circumstances of Jesus' birth. They were regular, everyday people, godly people. Um, Luke says that they were righteous, um, but just regular people. They weren't famous. They weren't spectacular. But they were solid people who loved God and chose to obey him at every opportunity. Their names were Zechariah and Elizabeth. Um, 
even though they were righteous, even, even though they were godly people, Scripture tells us that people looked down on them. They were, they were the people that people pitied because they didn't have any kids. Um, in our culture, that, that it's an interesting deal. You know, if you can't have kids, most of the time you, you go through the uh, fertility stuff, you go the adoption route if you want to have kids. Some people just choose not to have kids. Um, in the Jewish culture in the first century, it was a huge deal um, because kids determined whether or not you had an inheritance and whether your family kept the land that you had. It, it was a significant deal. It had to do with your name being passed on through the generations and the lineage was really, really important. So if you didn't have kids, you were really pitied. Zachariah and Elizabeth were the people that heard the people in the, in the town say, oh, poor Zachariah and Elizabeth. Can you imagine? Oh, those, those poor people. It's the end of the line for them, you know? They really, they really miss it. They're going to grow old without anyone to help take care of them. Um, it, was, it was a sad thing. Some people probably thought, you know what, there's some sin in their lives, and that's why they can't have kids. It was a difficult place for Zechariah and Elizabeth. A little bit of those kind of conversations goes a long way. They had gone through the years when they had first been married. The, you know, the, the, those months of anticipation, every month thinking, we're going to have a baby? No, we're not. That had moved into that stage where it's like, you know what? What's, what's wrong with us? Is there something going on that we can't have kids? They had probably gone through the struggle, the questions. They had probably gone through the, the phases of anger. You know, why is it that we live this way? And they had finally come to a place that it was resolved in them. They had accepted, you know what, we're never, ever going to have kids. Zechariah was a priest. And um, uh, as a priest, he, he had one big shot in life. It was the, it was the one time in his life um, where he could go to the temple and light the temple incense and pray at the end of the day. It was like the, the peak of his professional career as a priest. Um, he got to do priestly stuff, but, but going to the temple, being in the temple, lighting the incense, it was, it was the apex of his life in, in terms of things. So on the day that, that Zechariah was scheduled to do that, um, family, friends, everybody's there. The community's there to cheer him on to go through the process. And we jump to Luke 1, and here's the account that, it, that um, is described there. I'm going to read out of the message, which is, which is a paraphrase of the story, and I'm going to do that because I'm going to spend a lot of time through, um, through Luke 1 today, uh, reading a lot, and it's a little bit easier to listen to and understand. But I'd encourage you, if you have ESV or NIV, another version of Scripture, open that up and just kind of follow along because you'll, you'll get some pieces in the translation that you don't necessarily get in the paraphrase. The verse 5 of, of Luke chapter 1. During the rule of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest assigned service in the regiment of Abijah. His name was Zechariah. His wife was descended from the daughters of Aaron. Her name was Elizabeth. Together they lived honorably before God, careful in keeping to the ways of the commandments and enjoying a clear conscience before God. But they were childless because Elizabeth could never conceive. And now they were quite old. 
It so happened that as Zechariah was carrying out his priestly duties before God, working the shift assigned to his regiment, it came his one turn in life to enter the sanctuary of God and burn incense. The congregation was gathered and praying outside the temple at the hour of the incense offering. Unannounced, an angel of God appeared just to the right of the altar of incense. Zechariah was paralyzed in fear. But the angel reassured him, don't fear, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Elizabeth, your wife, will bear a son by you. You are to name him John. You're going to leap like a gazelle for joy, and not only you, many will delight in his birth. He'll achieve great stature with God. He'll drink neither wine nor beer. He'll be filled with the Holy Spirit from the moment he leaves his mother's womb. He will turn many sons and daughters of Israel back to their God. He will herald God's arrival in the style and strength of Elijah. Soften the hearts of parents to children and kindle devout understanding among hardened skeptics. He'll get the people ready for God. Zechariah said to the angel, Do you expect me to believe this? I'm an old man. My wife is an old woman. But the angel said, I am Gabriel, the sentinel of God, sent especially to bring you this glad news. But because you won't obey me and you won't believe me, you'll be unable to say a word until the day of your son's birth. Every word I've spoken to you will come true on time, in God's time. Meanwhile, the congregation waiting for Zechariah was getting restless. They were wondering what was keeping him so long in the sanctuary. When he came out and couldn't speak, they knew he had seen a vision. He continued speechless and had to use sign language with the people. When the course of his priestly assignment was completed, he went back home. It wasn't long before his wife, Elizabeth, conceived. She went off by herself for five months relishing her pregnancy. So this is how God acts to remedy my unfortunate condition, she said. You know, that long passage of scripture, um, but there, there, are, there are several things in there that I want to bring up. I think the biggest thing out of the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth, the biggest thing I want to communicate to you today is this message of hope. That as you begin to read down through that passage and look at it again, there is um, this sense of hope that comes over and over again. Zachariah and Elizabeth were righteous people, the ESV says, it uses the word righteous. And yet they were living in the middle of, of a, a tremendous brokenness. There was this sense of, of um, acceptance, but res uh, resignation um, that came as a result of not being, have not being able to have children. And so in their brokenness, this angel appears and, um, and says, there's hope for you because you're going to have a son. Let me say to you right off the bat, I, I mentioned December is the time where depression just kind of spirals out of control for lots and lots of people. If you're living in a world that's a wreck today, if you look around and, it, you know, there's, there's problems at home, there's problems at work, there's stuff that's going on that you feel like you can't do anything with. There's hope at Christmas. 
God came to earth so that there could be hope for us. Even if you can't see it right now, there's hope. The angel says to Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. What incredible news that is. Um, what, what was that prayer? It doesn't say. C- clearly, I think it was the prayer that they would have a child, that they would have a son. Um, after first service, somebody came up to me and said that they'd been reading and, um, and, and they, they made the point that Zechariah and Elizabeth had probably given up on that prayer years before. They had prayed it for a long time, but it had gotten to the place that it didn't seem realistic anymore. They thought that the answer was no, that God had simply said no. And yet the angel says, your prayer back then has been heard. What is it that you've been praying for? And how long have you been praying? Let me encourage you not to stop. I, th- I talked about my aunt a little bit earlier. 30 years ago, my, my uh, grandfather died. My, my grandfather was a, uh, he was a hard man. He, um, he was an alcoholic. Um, he treated people pretty poorly. He treated my, my mom and um, her sisters and brother um, badly. Uh, he had bad interactions with much of the family, even though everybody loved him and em- embraced him. He was a hard man. Um, he was a hard man to work with and a hard man to work for. He had his own business. And I, um, when I ultimately did his funeral, I heard stories about um, just about how difficult he was. He, 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 was, a, he was a bad guy. Um, my my uh, grandma died when I was one or two years old, but my grandma prayed for my grandfather to come to know Jesus every day all of her life from the time that she met him. That was her one prayer that she prayed over and over and over again. I found out after my grandpa had died that um, my mom and her sisters had prayed daily for my grandfather to come to know Jesus. My first ministry was in Columbus, Ohio, and my grandpa lived in Columbus, it was a cool thing. We, d- we didn't live very far away, and so I was able to pop in and see him. Um, he was decli- in declining health at that point in time, and, um, and oftentimes in, the, in that last year, those last few months, you know, you'd stop and see him, and, and he was in such bad shape physically that um, he couldn't communicate r- really significantly at all. Um, I got a call one morning from the lady who, um, who took care of him, a lady named Gina, and she said, Gina, um, your grandfather wants you to come over. He wants to talk about Jesus. And so I left what I was doing, went and talked to Poppy, and we talked for about an hour about God's love and Jesus' death for him. And he said, I want that. I want forgiveness. I want that change. I want God to come in and change me. You know what? He had an hour, a couple of hours, where his mind was lucid. And I'm convinced that it was the answer to the prayers of my grandma, the answer to the prayers of my mom and her sisters, the answer to the prayers of so many people who cared about his soul, about his spiritual condition. And I'm convinced that God in his mercy knows Poppy, that that, uh, in that moment, all kinds of doors opened up. What is it that you're praying for? I would encourage you this morning, don't stop. 
don't give up hope. Um, the, the angel goes on and keeps talking and says, you know what, you'll have joy and gladness. When this baby is born, there's something very personal in the message. Uh, um, the message says you'll, you'll leap like a gazelle for joy. There's such a cool picture about God knowing us that he says, when this baby is born, you're going to experience joy like you never have before through the birth of this baby. Now, for some of you who have two-year-olds, you're thinking, mm, I'm not joy, I, you know, kind of where's that all fit? Um, pretty incredible thing. God knows us and loves us. And he says, that joy isn't going to just be for you and Elizabeth. It's going to expand and um, it's going to impact the world around you. One of the commentators about this passage of Scripture where he says that you're going to turn the, uh, this, this child is going to turn the, the hearts of fathers to their children, um, the, the ignorant to, to the wisdom. Um, commentators say, you know what? That was a reference to say that the gospel was going to come beyond the Jewish faith that it was going to impact the world. It was going to impact us, Gentiles, people who are not part of God's chosen people. What an incredible thing that happens as the angel talks to Zechariah and gives him hope. Many will delight in his birth, Scripture says. There's this message of hope that comes over and over again as you read through Luke 1, through Zechariah and Elizabeth, that God takes um, what we give up what, what we've accepted as, you know what, it's not going to happen. And all of a sudden, he, um, he jumps in and changes everything. There's also a picture there about who God is through Gabriel. Um, understand that interacting with God is a big deal. Um, much of the time for us, I think that we try and um, bring God down to our level. We, we try and help try and... We try and figure out who God is and how he works and have some sense of control over what he does, his involvement in our lives. And I think one of the things that we can take away from this passage is this sense of the power of God. Um, in every instance in Scripture, when an angel appears to a human, do you know what happens? There's tremendous fear. If you think about it just in the context of the Christmas story, when the angel appears to Mary, Mary is terribly afraid. Angel appears to, to Joseph. Joseph is frightened as can be. Angels appear to the shepherds. The, uh, and, and what do we hear? Fear not. For behold, I bring you tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. The, there is this sense that anytime an angel comes and interacts with humans, the angel displays the power of God in a way that doesn't fit our pictures. You know, the angels are like six foot eight or seven foot tall or something like that. Uh, built, powerful. And it scares people to death because they always say, fear not. That was the case with Zechariah. And the, and the, the result, the, the impact of the power of God through this interaction, because Zechariah says, eh, I don't see that this is going to happen. We're too old. The, the, um, the accepted age... Uh, at this point in time um, of childbearing years was about was 60 years old. So some of you who are still in your 40s and 50s still got a shot, um, you know, if you want to have kids. Um, <laughs> no, not going to happen, right? Um, they were old. And, um, and, and when Zechariah said, how is this going to happen? There isn't any way 
it can happen. The angel says, hey, here's the deal. You're going to lose your voice. And that's going to be a reminder of the power of God. That's just one tiny thing. God can do anything he wants. God has the power to change any circumstance, any environment. And, um, and, he, and he's going to do it. Um, there, there's another picture in that passage that we just read that I, that I just want to touch on for a second. And it's, it's the picture of who Elizabeth is. Her humility. You know, I, um, as, as I study through scripture, uh, we just miss the idea that, that as good of people as Zechariah and Elizabeth were, they were really kind of outcasts because they hadn't had kids. Now, the language that, that's there, Elizabeth describes that. They were, they were one of the have-nots. And when Elizabeth becomes pregnant, Scripture says something really interesting. It says that for five months, she kind of hid herself. If you were pregnant, ladies, you were in your 60s or 70s, and you had never been able to have a kid, and the people in your community were the people who looked down their nose at you, wouldn't you want to go out in your neighborhood and go, nanny, nanny, boo, boo, I got a baby. Um, not Elizabeth. Elizabeth. Elizabeth secludes herself, and I think in humility relishes every moment of that pregnancy. I, I try to think, why did she do that? I, 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 think, I think every day she thought, is this incredible or what? God's goodness displayed to us. You jump down a few verses, and um, as you read through Luke 1, the angel comes and tells Mary she's going to have a baby too. And, and Mary says, how can this be? I, um, I'm, a, I'm a virgin. It's not ever happening. How is this going to be? And the angel says in verse 36, did you know that your cousin Elizabeth conceived a son? As old as she is, everyone called her barren, and here she is six months pregnant. Nothing you see is impossible with God. What seems to you to be impossible today, this Christmas? For some of you, it, it really is. You know what? It is impossible. It's, it's impossible that God could change and work. For some of you, you think, you know what, it's impossible. It's impossible that we can get through the holidays without there being a fight, without people yelling and throwing stuff and it just spiraling, spiraling out of control. For some of you, you think, you know what, it's impossible that my kid's ever going to come back to Jesus. You know, what's impossible for you? Hear the words of the angel to Mary. Do you know your cousin Elizabeth, she's six months pregnant. Nothing is impossible with God. Jump down to verse 39. We're going to talk about Mary in a couple of weeks, but the angel leaves Mary, and in verse 39 it says, Mary didn't waste a minute. She got up and traveled to, to a town in Judah in the hill country, straight to Zechariah's house, and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby in her womb leaped. She was filled with the Holy Spirit, and sang out exuberantly, You're so blessed among women, and the babe in your womb also blessed. Why am I so blessed that the mother of my Lord visits me? The moment the sound of your greeting entered my ears, the babe in my womb 
skipped like a lamb for sheer joy. Blessed woman, who believed what God said? Believed every word would come true. Uh, If you're skeptic this morning, if you're not sure you buy the Bible, you read this passage, and and I'll tell you, I think what you think. You think, okay, you know, Mary comes to the door. They haven't seen each other for at least six months. She says something, scares Elizabeth, baby jumps, moves, very natural event. That was not the perspective of either Mary or Elizabeth. And I think that there's some things that we can learn from that. I think it was, I think it was a, um, I don't know if it was supernatural in that sense, but I think it tells us that something going on in the development of a, of a baby in a mama's womb that, that, that sometimes we miss. There's a person inside there, and that that little baby, that baby named John, recognized even a developing baby that was tiny inside Mary that day. What an incredible thing! Um, a couple of weeks ago, you know, we did a child dedication um, time in each of the services, where we one of the things that we said is all life comes from God. We believe that um, life comes from God, and and that it has the the fingerprint of God from the time of conception. I think that this scripture lives that out in an incredible way for us. Um, There's a value in kids, value in life. Down in verse 57, um, the story keeps going. When Elizabeth was full term in her pregnancy, she bore a son. Her neighbors and relatives, seeing that God had overwhelmed her with mercy, celebrated with her. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child and were calling him Zechariah after his father. But his mother intervened. No, he's to be called John. But they asked, no one in your family is named that. They used sign language to ask Zechariah what he wanted him named. Asking for a tablet, Zechariah wrote, his name is to be John. That took everyone by surprise. Surprise followed surprise. Zechariah's mouth was now open, his tongue loose, and he was talking, praising God. A deep reverential fear settled over the neighborhood. And in all that Judean hill country, people talked about nothing else. Everyone who heard about it took it to heart, wondering, what will become of this child? Clearly, God has had his hand in this. Naming the child John was a big deal. John meant the Lord is gracious or gracious one. It, it was a significant thing because the name uh, name carried on the line as well. Um, and so the whole idea of what he was going to be named, it was a, a huge deal. Um, I, I've wondered, was it a supernatural thing? Did, did an angel appear to Elizabeth and say, you know what, the baby's name is going to be John? Or was it the kind of thing that, that, um, that, that, um, Elizabeth and Zechariah had a conversation using the, the writing utensil. And in that, Zechariah said, no, he's got to be named John. That's what, the, that's what the angel told him. We don't know that. Um, I think it was probably the second more than the first, or, or it would probably be written in Scripture. But I love Scripture because it does some really, really funky things. If you think about it, what, the, what did the angel say to Zechariah? You're not going to be able to talk, Right. Um, that's that's the deal. You're not going to be able to talk until the time that that your son is born and and that you see that this is is what happened. But what happens in this passage of Scripture? The people say to Zechariah, they sign to Zechariah, they sign, 
this is Zechariah. Um, what's he, what's he going to be named? Zechariah can't speak, right? He can hear. So his family and friends were goofy. One of two things was true. Either that in the midst of that, the angel had taken his tongue and his ears, and he was deaf and dumb, or the family was just stupid like we are when you're trying to talk to somebody in a different language, and what do you do? You talk louder and slower as though that's going to help them understand the break in communication. I tend to think, um, you know, that, that um, he probably was deaf and mute, that God had done that, and that they had communicated on that writing tablet, which made it close by, and him able to say, his name is John. Last, the, the thing that's there in 65 and 66 that I just want to point out real quickly is um, the power of God created a buzz in the neighborhood, in the community that was incredible. People knew God was doing something um, incredible in their life. It made me think, how many times does God work in us? Does God jump into the middle of our story and rescue us and save us? And we just kind of let that fade into the background. There was a buzz going on because of what God was doing. We need to recognize that when God is working in our lives, we need to talk about that. Um, we, we need to just let people know that God is working in our lives because it draws the attention to him and gives him the glory. Verse uh, 67, Zechariah is filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm going to go back to the ESV because it's a little bit easier for me to understand. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. And he has raised up a horn of salvation for us. In the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. To show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, Zachariah says to John, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet in the ways of peace, if you look at Zechariah's declaration, his prayer, uh, one of the commentators I, I read said that, um, that this prayer that Zechariah prayed, it was the prayer that he probably wanted to pray on the day that he had gone in the temple to burn incense nine months earlier. This was his chance at the circumcision of his son to be able to proclaim some really important things. And he says, God is a God of salvation, mercy, and deliverance. Hear that today. God is a God of salvation, mercy, and deliverance. He is that way so that we might serve him without fear, so that we can serve him in holiness and righteousness, Zechariah says, so that he can give us knowledge of the forgiveness of sins, and so that we can give light to a dark world in the shadow of death. When we understand who God is, 
everything changes. Zacharias prays, proclaims over his son, God is going to use you to impact the world by preparing the way for Jesus. That baby grows up and becomes John the Baptist that we, that we talk about in the Mark series. John the Baptist, the voice crying in the wilderness, repent for the kingdom of God's at hand. John the Baptist, the one who, um, who's the, the reed swaying in the wilderness. John the Baptist, who's the one that says, that recognizes Jesus as he comes to be baptized. The core of the Christmas story is this incredible earth-shattering reality of God coming to earth to change everything. Uh, this morning, we've talked about Zachariah and Elizabeth, their son, John. It's really a message of hope. Um, band, come on up if, if you would. Um, 73 years ago today, on a Sunday morning, something happened that impacted our world from that point forward. 73 years ago today was December 7, 1941. Planes flew out of Japan and came and bombed Pearl Harbor. Some of you are old enough to remember that. All of us have heard about it over and over and over again. From what I understand, there was this sense when Pearl Harbor was bombed that throughout the U.S. there, there, was, this, that, uh, um, there was this response that came back really strong to say, you know what, that's our, th- that's our land, our people. We're not going to stand for that. People, guys began to sign up to defend the country. There was this sense of, you know what, is Hitler going to come here and invade the U.S.? Are the Japanese going to come over and, and take over? Because the Navy had been destroyed in one morning, the day that was last in infamy. There, w- there was this sense of dread and despair in the U.S. And five and a half months later, something happened that changed the dynamic of World War II. Lieutenant Colonel James Doolittle and 17 other pilots took planes and took off from a ship in the Pacific a journey that no one thought that they could make, that they didn't have the fuel and the ability um, to, to make, but they flew and they bombed Tokyo. And in that moment, World War II changed because all of a sudden, there was hope. It's Christmas time, and there's all kinds of stuff going on. There is despair all around us. We live in a dark place even when people put on good happy faces there's hope in Jesus there's hope in Jesus the story of the birth of John the Baptist of Elizabeth and Zachariah is a story of hope no matter what's going on in your life God hears and answers prayer God interacts in the events of our lives God loves you and he wants you to understand and to experience the joy of salvation if you've not done that if you've if you've never had that kind of relationship with god if you've just been kind of distant man don't let this christmas go by and miss the reason that jesus came we would love to talk more with you about that um feel free to come forward to go to your small group leader somebody on staff um, 
God loves you, and he came to bring hope. Let's pray. Father God, thanks so much for Zechariah and Elizabeth, for their faithfulness and the way that you use them to show us who you are. Father, thank you for, um, for, for giving John the Baptist to, to prepare the way for Jesus. Thank you for this part of the story that we probably don't spend enough time on, recognizing how much you care for us. God, may we have the ability to tell your story in our world and to draw people to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand together, let's sing.